Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun, your host. If you are new to this program, I'd like to welcome you. If you are a reoccurring listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation between me and you. First off, we're going to do some house cleaning. I'd like to highly recommend a website and a supplement company that I love to use. It's onelavi.com. That's O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com. It's where I get my Manuka honey. It's where I get my various sports nutrition supplements. It's where I get my cognetics for my brain functions, you know, getting all my neural synapses snapping and firing on all cylinders and things like that. So I highly recommend that you guys go to O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com. That's onelavi.com. Another website I'd like to tell you guys uh, a lot about is ChavezHouse.com. That's where you can pick up the Essential Self-Publishing Blueprint, How to Get Your Book Published in 90 Days uh, by Lenore Batista. That book was number one in its genre in April of this year. It's doing very well. Lenore Batista is doing workshops for first-time authors, even second- and third-time authors. People are calling her to edit their books. People are calling her to to help out in the writing process. Uh, and first-time writers like myself are using the blueprint. I should have a book out, hopefully, at the end of this year. With all the projects and things that I'm doing, we'll see what happens. But um, I'm looking to uh, put some sort of book together. I, I'm not uh, going to reveal, as of yet what the book's going to be about, but uh, definitely later on, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, ChavezHouse.com, you can also get uh, uh, empowerment journals for women, the gratitude journal where you, where you uh, write down and articulate what you're grateful for in the morning, what you're grateful for at night, self-love journals, love letters to yourself. Um, also, she has a, uh, a whole collection of notebooks uh, with uh, flags on the front. Uh, that represent the Caribbean as well as South America and as well as the American flag. We are branching out, doing a lot of different things, creating a lot of products for ChavezHouse.com. Awesome site. Go check it out. It's awesome. Alrighty now. Lots of things going on. Um, I've been doing um, catching up with a couple of episodes because um, I took about two weeks or I think it was two or three weeks that I hadn't done an episode or I did some but I wasn't comfortable posting them as of yet. So I did that. So um, here we are. We're in July. It's after July 4th. It's after the weekend. Hope you guys had a wonderful 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. And um, a lot of fireworks out there, you know, uh, a lot of boom, boom, boom. And I think that's consistent with a lot of the things we're going to speak about today. Uh, today is... Uh, this episode is season two, episode 10 of season two, and we're calling it Shootouts. Now, again, this is a family program, so if you're listening to this with your kids in the room, this there's going to be no explicit language. I'm not going to go into any gory details, so do not let the title Shootouts uh, uh, um, scare you away. Uh, this is still a family show. This is still a show that I would like people to use as a discussion tool. 
You can take little bites and things like that. As long as you don't take me out of context, you can take little snippets of it and um, use it as conversation pieces. Why am I calling this show Shootouts? Would you like to venture a guess, especially if you're in the United States? Well, if you're in the United States, you will know that 2020 was a big year for shootings in America. Uh, America, especially certain places uh, in New York, uh, places in Florida and other places, seen an increase in Atlanta, places like that, saw an increase in violent crimes uh, and definitely shootings. Let's take uh, the Buckhead District of Atlanta, for instance. Buckhead District is an affluent district or city in the greater Atlanta area. The violent crime has gone up so much that Buckhead wants to secede from Atlanta. They don't want to be part of Atlanta anymore. The people in this area have money. It's affluent. And it's, and it's a paradox to a certain degree because of that. Because we're going to talk about that correlation between affluence and violence. But anyway, they have what is, I think it's uh, aggravated assaults in that city are up 26%. Um, larcenies are up uh, 27%. Shootings are up, way up. And um, people are asking what's going on. You know, people were supposed to be under lockdown last year, right? We all were in our homes or we were wearing masks when we were out in the street. What brought about this? Some people are saying, oh, it was all of those mass protests, but there were was barely a, a there was a few dozen there were a few dozen deaths due to those mass protests due to social unrest and things of that nature so can we blame that can we blame uh, uh, that for the reason and the increase in shootings i was just reading something as a matter of fact i already had this show title in my head swirling around and what i was going to talk about and i was just reading that in new york city new york my home state um, where I was born and raised, for better or for worse. And um, uh, the governor, uh, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, is passing, a, just passed the bill or is about to pass a bill where he can sue gun manufacturers for the violence that occurs in New York City. I don't know how you guys feel about that out there, feel about that, but think he mentioned something i'm actually looking at the article right now give you guys give me a second because like i said i do a lot of this stuff in real time yes cuomo also said that he would declare that gun violence in his state is a disaster emergency a disaster emergency that's interesting a disaster emergency that it's that it's a that he's in a state of emergency well if you look at uh, certain articles, it says that um, it's a 41% increase in shootings in New York in 2020 from 2019. It's the largest tally since 2011. You know, shootings have risen by 95%. Uh, uh, 2020 is one of the, uh, it's one of the uh, most active years for shootings in the last 10, 15 years in New York City. And it's part of a wider trend that's seen all throughout the United States. What's going on? What's going on? Obviously, there are more guns on the street because more law-abiding purchasers, law-abiding tax-paying citizens went out and purchased guns over the last 
10 years, actually, since Obama was elected. I mean, the year Obama was elected was the largest uh, year, had the most gun purchases in that year in the history of gun purchases in the United States. That was 2008. That was 2008. So that's why when I'm looking at all of these things where people, you know, so many social scientists, criminologists, political scientists, sociologists, everyone is out there, ban you know, uh, opining about what exactly is the cause for all the violence. Can we blame some the pandemic? Can we blame the angst that occurred vis-a-vis -vis lockdowns? Can we can we uh, attribute some blame to the poverty more people were starving, more people were losing jobs and things of that nature. But were those people going out that had jobs? Did they go out, get a gun and decide to go out there and uh, shoot their neighbor, go out there and get into angry confrontations? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But what we've known is over the last since 2008, over the last 12 years, there have been record gun sales in America. What the uh, the reaction to a, a Democrat like Barack Obama, who was all for a big proponent of gun control legislation. We saw what his eight years in office did to gun sales. <clears throat> then, interestingly enough, a Donald Trump comes into office who some thought he would be uh, less uh, stringent on gun control, but in any case, it still led to a spike in gun sales in his four years. And now with uh, President Democratic President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and his administration has been very bullish about gun control. It's been one of their campaign promises. Gun, con gun sales went through the roof. But in any case, even before that, gun sales were going through the roof because of the social unrest. And I put that in quotes, the social unrest that was occurring in this country, racial tensions, things of that nature. <clears throat> People, one, one side screaming, this person's life matters. The other one saying this other one's person's life matters. And that angst brought about another increase in gun sales and a surge. And then we had our great lockdown of 2020. So many people out there said, I have to protect what's mine. I don't know what's going on. These are unprecedented times. I'm going to go out there and get me a weapon or two or three. I personally, um, I enjoy going to the gun range. It's something that I you know, didn't get to take advantage of as a New Yorker due to New York's strict gun laws. And that's very interesting. We're going to talk about that. How is it a place with some of the most strict gun laws in the nation has so many shootings? Think about that for a moment. If gun control was so great, if gun control really worked, you can't own a pistol in New York City. Just in case you guys don't know, I don't live in New York anymore. But just in case you don't know, you can't you can maybe own a shotgun to protect your home. That's as good as it's going to get. You cannot have a firearm in your glove compartment. You cannot conceal and carry a weapon on your, uh, 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 a firearm on your person. 
the most you can get is a shotgun. And, and don't even quote me on that because I'm not entirely sure you can even do that. So to get a gun in New York, the <laughs> legally, uh, the things you have to go through, the, the hoops, I personally don't really know anybody who owns a gun legally in New York. But yet, I lived in Jupiter, Florida. Anyone familiar with Jupiter, Florida? That's still part of South Florida. South Florida consists of three counties. That is Palm Beach County, which is its northernmost county in South Florida. Palm Beach County, then there's Broward County, then there's uh, Dade County. Palm Beach County obviously has West Palm Beach, Wellington, places like that. Um, um, very affluent places, Boca Raton. Okay, then you have Fort Lauderdale and Broward County, and Miami is in Dade County, South Beach, such as well. South Beach is in Miami Beach, technically, but you know that's what we have. So where I lived in Jupiter is considered affluent. Um, everyone in my neighborhood had a gun, uh, me included, had firearms. I had little firearms, little uh, pistols and things of that nature. My neighbors very wealthy neighbors had guns I've never seen before guns that would make John Wick envious I'm talking about these guys had safes where you open it up biometric you put your thumb you open it up I exaggerate to you not ladies and gentlemen that are listening to me I lie to you not you open up the safe and I'm looking at sometimes a dozen of ex dozen exotic weapons that I cannot name I'm saying what's this What's that? Oh, June, you got to try this one. Oh, this one has the red dot infrared biometric scheme. It knows your blood type. This bullet will chase you through for years. Like, wait, 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 what is that? And this happened time and time again. I would visit friends. I would I would go have get togethers in this affluent neighborhood. Every single last person in this neighborhood was concealing on their person, had a gun in their glove compartment, and was armed to the teeth in their house. I lived in this neighborhood for two years. I didn't hear as much as a firecracker go off. What's going on? Why is that? I lived in Delray for a while, still in Palm Beach. <laughs> All the people in that neighborhood, Delray, that part of Florida, uh, in South Florida and Palm Beach County, a lot of retirees, a lot of retirees are known to be avid gun owners as well because, you know, the elderly population over 65 is a vulnerable population to crime, home invasions, burglaries, things of that nature. Armed to the teeth. I knew a lot of older people, you know, hey, what's up? Hey, June, how you doing? Come on inside. Come on, go in there, talk to them. Hey, what's going on? You know, my mom was living in a community. So when I'd visit my mom, I would meet, know a lot of her neighbors. Her, her neighbors would invite me inside and meet, you know, other friends and family. And guess what I would see? Old people armed to the teeth. Young people armed to the teeth. Everyone armed to the teeth in this particular neighborhood. I used to visit my mom every day. Sometimes I would spend the night at her place, make sure everything was okay. Didn't hear so much as a firecracker go off. What's going on? Meanwhile, in New York City, <laughs> what's going on? Strict gun laws. Be damned. You have thousands of shootings. Four, 400 plus homicides in a year 
What's going on? Is gun control working? I've said this before. No one out there has to agree with me. That's fine. But I've said it. And I think the stats work in my favor when I say this. My experiences tell me. And plus, when I take my anecdotal personal experience and I measure it against statistics, it shows me that guns don't kill people. Poverty kills people. Guns don't shoot wantonly and randomly. Poverty shoots in a random ma manner. Kids from <laughs> two-parent households don't join gangs looking for families and father figures. Just saying that when I see these gun control laws where law-abiding, tax-paying citizens can't go and arm themselves and protect their property and their family and themselves, I say to myself, what are we doing? Who are we protecting? Who are we protecting? You know, some people will say, well, in a lot of socialist countries and things like that, you know, they don't have guns. The government, you know, uh, says that citizens can't have guns or they outlaw guns. I think that there's an inverse relationship between safety nets and gun control. If you want to take away my guns, then you're going to have to have a bottom where people can't fall under the poverty line. That's the trade-off. So if, if, if your, your representative and your senator and your governor and your mayor wants to outlaw guns for, for the average citizen, then you better outlaw poverty first. That's all I'm saying. Because it seems to me that when I'm in Jupiter and everyone's armed to the teeth legally, there isn't any problems. Is it because of the, the, the Audis and the Bentegas that are outside? Is it because of the late model Mercedes and BMWs that are outside? When I'm in my mom's neighborhood, is it because of the, all the uh, retirees from New York and Connecticut and Maine and Vermont that are down there who've already paid off their condos and everyone's living peacefully? Is that why? Because on the other side, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes away, that's where you hear the firecrackers. That's where you hear people wantonly shooting off, randomly shooting, organized gang violence, things of that nature. And what do you see? You see poverty. You see less opportunities. I'm just saying, you know, usually um, I tell you guys, um, I don't like to pull things from the headlines and just make it a, a, a hot take on this uh, particular uh, discourse and conversation that we have. But this is important. This is important. I believe that I should be able to protect my home, okay? If someone were to kick in the door right now, the average home invasion takes about mm, 90 seconds to about three to five minutes, okay? If I were fortunate enough during a home invasion to call the police, it would take them an average of nine minutes to get to where I am right now. Did you hear what I said? In eight to nine minutes, home invasion is 90 seconds. Do you think that if someone kicks in your front door right now and you're in your bedroom and your cell phone or your phone is right by your, your nightstand, right next to you within, arm, within arm reach, and someone kicks in your door, you grab your phone, you run to the bathroom, you lock the bathroom door, you go into the bathtub and you call 911, 
who do you think is going to get to you first? The predator or the police? Question mark. I'll wait for an answer. What do you think? Predator or police? I think we'd put our money on the predator, wouldn't we? Hmm? Exactly my point. But if you have taken the time out to protect yourself, to arm your house, to stage weapons in various areas in your home, so you know if you run to the bathroom, you just may have something there waiting in one of those uh, 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 drawers or cabinets, right? Or a compartment right by your nightstand. You may have something in there, right? Oh, in your walk-in closet, if you have one, you have something in there, right? One of us is speaking from experience, just saying. I'm one of those places that a predator might not want to enter. It's never any fun when the rabbit has the gun. You understand? Let's just say that no matter where I am in my house or in my apartment, I'm good. Guest room, guest walk-in closet, uh, uh, master bedroom, master bedroom walk-in closet, master bath. I'm good. I have doors. I know I have techniques. I've spoken to my woman. I've dialed this. We've discussed. If this is to happen, you go here. I'm going to grab my Second Amendment. And then, you know, you know, you make the call and I'll take care of business. That's it. So when I hear these laws being passed to outlaw guns, to outlaw a, a law abiding tax paying citizen, from 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 being able to protect themselves and thinking that the grid and the machine is going to protect them. I mean, that, that brings me great pause and sh great chagrin. I do not believe in that. Why? Because you have done nothing to outlaw poverty. The mitigating factors. Let's look at the neighborhoods where a lot of this is going on. OK, it's not monochromatic. We can't say, oh, it's this particular race. One one could go there. But I'm looking even deeper than that. And I'm saying no matter who it is, when I see a raise or, or, or an increase in violence, no matter the community, what I see is poverty. What I see is lack of opportunities. That's what I see. The more Audis and Mercedes and the more the more <laughs> the higher the the home price, the less violence in the neighborhood. Am I wrong, ladies and gentlemen? Hmm. The more expensive the cars and the driveways, the higher the tax bracket and the salaries of the people in a particular neighborhood, the less gun violence. No. So when you see these this talk about shootouts, it's been the most violent. And they said these are the gaslighting. These are the, the language that they use to get so many people to think that, oh, gun control. Oh, yeah, of course, if there are more shootings in the street, we need to get more guns off the street and less guns will mean less crime or less shootings. No, no, not necessarily. In the last what uh, year, we've had how many drug overdoses? How many drug overdoses? So many of these drugs are still on the market. Hmm. We have certain additives in our food and that we've had uh, uh, Monsanto and certain other companies that genetically modify our food and they have immunity from prosecution. 
certain drugs that are on the market right now that are killing people. Overdoses and medical emerge and medical malpractice kill more people than guns. Hmm? But we are giving so many pharmaceutical companies immunity. When most of us know out there that if you eat proper foods, you probably won't need uh, any pharmacological aids if you use more nutraceutical uh, uh, products uh, and nutrient dense products. You probably will least you will need less pharmaceuticals. And these pharmaceuticals, they get rushed through trials because they're deep in the pockets and they're deep in with the FDA and they're deep in with their senator and deep in with their governor. And all of a sudden they put products on the market. And before you know it, the product is being pushed to your doctor vis-a-vis -vis pharmaceutical reps who give your doctor the incentive to push this product down your throat. So your doctor is promoting this medicine instead of that medicine because this medicine they get more dividends and bonuses if they promote this product as of that product that's how the medical field works in the united states by the way ladies and gentlemen i know that because i know a whole lot of pharmaceutical reps and i know a whole lot of doctors so i know how it works i know how a lot of them pay for their porsches i know how a lot of them pay for their second homes i know how a lot of them do it so sometimes drug A, which may be better for you, doesn't pay out as much as drug B. That's not as good for you and has more side effects and contraindications. The doctor is prescribing you drug B because it's better for them, not for you. And these same pharmaceutical companies are what? Immune oftentimes to lawsuits and litigation. So meanwhile, while these the, uh, our country or many parts of our country, many swaths of our our, our cities are becoming poorer and poorer. And there's a, re a relationship, causation, correlation between poverty, lack of opportunity, and an increase in violence, and an increase in gang activity, in increasing gang participation. So you have robberies, assaults, and things like that. And then you escalate and graduate to homicide. Yeah. So... We're not doing anything to outlaw poverty. I, I, I don't see that anywhere. Anywhere. But yet, what do I see? I see, um, looking here, I'm looking at uh, uh, violent crime. I'm looking at bills being passed left and right, telling me that you're trying to get rid of law-abiding, tax-paying citizens' guns. I'm saying on to you, ladies and gentlemen, that I disagree. I would like every single last person out there who is having the gun control conversation to ask themselves a question. Would you need gun control if you had more opportunities for the people that are shooting the guns, for their families, for their moms or their dads or their parents, things of that nature? Would you need do you think that less guns is going to lead to less violence in those same neighborhoods where the poverty is? Because the places where the shootings are occurring are the places where the shootings most times are occurring. Buckhead is one of those few outliers that exists. But there is an old saying, when the poor run out of things to eat, they will eventually start to eat the rich. Don't ever forget that. So we're creating more and more swaths of poverty, larger swaths of, of poverty, and we're creating also larger swaths of actual uh, uh, propertied and moneyed and high-earning individuals as well. So what happens if all of these enclaves, <laughs> what happens when these enclaves of those who have 
is here and the growing population of the have nots is over there. But you're telling the law abiding tax paying haves that they cannot have a firearm to protect themselves. And then there's a certain small but very active contingent amongst the have nots that have become embittered and battered battled extremely upset and envious angry at their lack of whatever and they're blaming the haves and guess what they find ways through illegal means and, and through contraband and things of that nature and they get a firearm and what do they do with that firearm guess who they're coming to go see the people who have, they're not only going to terrorize their neighborhood where they live, but they're eventually going to come for those who have. So what I'm trying to say is, ladies and gentlemen, instead of trying to outlaw guns, you might want to start to outlaw poverty. If you're a gun control proponent and you think that that's the way to go, I'm telling you as someone who knows many, many people in many, many different kinds of neighborhoods from Harlem to the Hamptons, from the projects in Miami all the way up to the yachts in Palm Beach County. I've lived everywhere. I've seen it. I'm not going to say I've seen it all. That's not the truth. But I've seen a whole lot from many, many, many different perspectives. So based on my experience, based on my own thoughts, based on my own inroads and revelations and statistics and research, I see the relationships. I see it. I don't think that this is the way to go. I'm looking at stats right now as we speak and, you know, historic surgeon murders explained. And then as soon as you read the article, it's like, well, we haven't explained it. We're trying to figure out why we have this 25 increase, 25 percent increase here in the largest increase in violence we've seen since the 1960s and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, we live in we we've had historic lows in violence in America over the last you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, 20, 30 years. And everyone wants to ask themselves why. I'll tell you why. It's called cheap credit. Anybody remember the Clinton years? We weren't making more money, but there was more cheap credit available. So it fooled us into thinking we had more money because we were able to do what? Borrow more. Under the Clinton years, we borrowed more money. Businesses borrowed more money. You know what happens when businesses borrow money? They get bigger. You know what happens when they get bigger? They hire people. Guess who they hire? People that they probably normally wouldn't hire before. So guess what happened? Guess what occurred? Opportunity. There goes that word again. When people like to talk about this, there was this theory back in uh, New York City under uh, the Giuliani administration. I am, I am intimately... Uh, aware of the Giuliani administration. Why? Because I came of age during the Giuliani years. Um, and um, I like to call Giuliani's administration and, his, and, the, and the NYPD under Giuliani, the Gestapo regime. I have the dubious distinction of being stopped more times than I care to have been stopped and that, that I care to remember for no apparent reason at all being asked to show my driver's license, to show my this, to show my that, for no apparent reason, okay? And this was Giuliani's way of saying he's um, breaking, uh, breaking the, the trend of crime in America. And crime in America, 
and crime, I'm sorry, crime in New York City. Crime in New York City did go down. And it was a theory called the broken window theory. There was this idea that if, um, if you could um, really crack down hard on those small, tiny crimes, like broken windows and vandalism and things of that nature in a particular neighborhood, then, the more, then you could probably stem the more violent crime. And so everyone across the country started to, um, they noticed that New York had a decrease in crime. They had a decrease in crime. And so they said, oh, my goodness, broken window theory theory. We're going to do the same thing. Stop and frisk. Stop and frisk. Even though stop and frisk in New York City had an 80 percent failure rate. Stop and frisk. That's the way to go. Baltimore decided to do it. Didn't work. Chicago tried to do it. Didn't work. All these other states, cities tried to do it. Didn't work. Why didn't the broken window theory work there? Stamping out on crime, just going to certain neighborhoods that have crime and just just pulling every single able-bodied boy from the age of 13 to 38 or 58 and just get throw them up against the wall, get their driver's licenses out. You know, if they have an open container of alcohol or any, anything that's going on, you're loitering, you, you are walking too slow down the block. You crossed, you didn't cross on the green, you crossed in between. Here's a citation, here's a ticket, go to court. And every single last investigator worth their salt will tell you a criminal investigator is only as good as the people in neighbor in their neighborhoods that he's uh, uh, policing are willing to cooperate with you. If you do not have a relationship with the people in the communities that you are policing, you are not a good police officer or investigator. So if all you're doing is marginalizing, ostracizing the people in those neighborhoods, oppressing, suppressing, and repressing, you're not going to have a relationship. They're not going to speak to you about the things that are going on in their neighborhood because they're going to look at you as someone just as oppressive as the people that are terrorizing, that small contingent of individuals that are proactively terrorizing them. And they're looking at you as if you're on the same side. It's like my, uh, one of my favorite rap artists. His name was Most Deaf, and he's on a song called Respiration with an artist named Common and another artist. And he said, sometimes you can't even tell the cops from the robbers. Okay? And oftentimes in these neighborhoods, you can't tell the difference. And an average tax, a, a, a law-abiding, tax-paying, poor citizen who can't afford to just move out of that neighborhood because they're working their behinds off, they're working, they're working at their capacity, at their socioeconomic or educational level. And they can't afford to move. But in any case, I digress. So they're there being terrorized by the cops and the robbers. In any case, digression, go back. Everybody else is trying to do, uh, um, yeah, broken window, broken window, broken window. It's not working. Gun violence going up, gang violence going up, shootings, homicides up. What's the difference between New York City and all these other cities? Oh, there's something called the economy. Guess what New York City is, ladies and gentlemen? New York City just happens to be, coincidentally, one of the richest, most successful cities on the planet. It is the financial capital of the world. We have the New York Stock Exchange. We have the NASDAQ. We are the epicenter for entertainment. What are we talking about, people? New York went through a renaissance during the 90s economically. Wall Street. Cheap money. Cheap money became available. Not due to M Mayor Giuliani's broken window tactics and stopping and frisking. What did it do? 
Think about all these stop and frisk. Where did he get New York? Didn't get New York anywhere. What got New York to where it was was all of that cheap money that made itself available. Don't have the time right now to speak about economically how that cheap money became available or to define cheap money right now. We'll save that for another episode. Email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com and we'll speak about cheap money. But that's what was available. Hedge funds. When billions of dollars flow, flow into Wall Street and cheap credit and cheap money is available for businesses to grow or even begin to start a business and then to grow a business. Guess what you got to do to grow a business? You might have to hire a couple of people. Opportunity. There it goes. So opportunity comes along. So that same kid that was looking for a job. Hmm, when he was pulling out rabbit ears, when he when he when he pulled his uh, uh, his pants pockets pulled him and I had nothing but lint in his pockets. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I got a temp job working at this company. I'm answering phones for eight, nine dollars an hour. I show up every day. Now they're telling me they want to put me on f as a permanent employee. Whoa, I figured out I know a thing about a thing or two. Huh? Opportunity. So guess what? That kid that might have been kicking the can looking to join a gang, just got himself a pair of slacks and he has himself a gig in New York City because there's opportunities. A lot of these other cities that were looking to stem their violence like Baltimore, which is only three, four hours outside of New York City uh, drive, was on fire still. Why? Because guess what? Baltimore, you don't have a Baltimore stock exchange. Baltimore, guess what? Outside of the seafood... <clears throat> You're not bringing in any business. Your businesses are fleeing. Your factories are closing. And so your, 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 your drug addiction goes up. Your, your, your gun violence goes up. Okay? You have a 60 or 70% unemployment rate amongst a certain group of individuals. What happens then? Hmm? And so while you're stopping and frisking a bunch of people who don't have jobs, you might as well be living the new Jim Crow. You might as well be an ex-slave. That's what used to happen, guys. Just remember, you should buy this book. This book was a great book. I'm rambling, but I love to ramble about these, this topic in particular. There's a book called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Color Blindness by uh, an esteemed attorney named Michelle Alexander. She's awesome. The book is awesome. And she speaks about after the uh, abolition of slavery, guess what? You think uh, able-bodied black men were about to get hired to do something that they've been uh, doing for free <laughs> uh, for the last couple of hundred years? You think that people were lining up to hire and pay black men when, when their labor was what funded uh, uh, America's banking system and import-export system? And they were picking cotton which was the oil of its day so guess what happened you had a whole lot of black men doing what loitering standing around looking to see who was going to pick them up and put them in a pickup truck they ended up working still working on the same plantations and sharecropping in the same place that they've been a slave and their parents and their grandparents were slaves they stayed oftentimes. And oftentimes, those same plantation owners said, I can't afford to keep you. You got to go. You're free now. And then that black man and family said, free. What does that even look like? 
No one's going to hire us to do what we've been doing for free. Okay? So guess what happens in these neighborhoods now when you have a, 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 an unemployment rate that's over 60, 70% in certain neighborhoods and these people are loitering. Sounds eerily familiar, right? And then all of a sudden, what do you have? What do you have? Back in those days, in the, early, in the late 1800s and 1900s, sheriffs came around and started giving citations to those same freed slaves and had them working where? In chain gangs now. So remember that work? that you didn't do as a slave, I'm gonna have you do it as a, soul, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a prisoner, okay? I'm gonna cite you for loitering. I'm gonna cite you for being out after a certain time. I'm gonna cite you for being on the wrong side of town before, before sunset. I'm gonna do all of these things and create this, 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 this judicial machine, this incarceration machine that still exists today. And so when you see this mass incarceration matrix, even though violent crime has been down for, for, for decades, but yet our incarceration rate is up. And we've seen and Biden and the Clintons were a big part of this, pretty much penalize, creating more punitive uh, uh, sentences for nonviolent crime. And the private prison industry lobbies for nonviolent offenders to get more time because how do private prisons make money by having their beds filled? It's like a hotel. I need bodies to fill my beds because I've created a system where incarcerated people make us make me money. We make money off the backs of people that are in jail. So we find different ways to incarcerate people even for nonviolent offenses. A judge in Philadelphia was indicted for taking bribes and incentives because a private prison, in, private prison CEO was paying the judge to sentence certain individuals harsher and send them to their facility. Once sent to that facility, they make the bed quota, the judge gets paid. What's better for that kid? Was That kid may have just needed a second chance, maybe needed a slap on the wrist, but now that kid has a, has a record. He has what I like to call judicial herpes that just stays with him forever, right? Kind of sounds really similar to that doctor, right? Prescribing drug B because he get, it's more incentivized for that doctor. So now the judge, instead of being, you know, instead of justice being blind, justice has a bank account, you know, and um, it's like capital punishment. Those who don't have the capital get the punishment, things of that nature. And disproportionately, disproportionately, just poorer groups are the ones who get more time. You don't have money for a lawyer. You don't have this, that, and the third. Opportunity. I'm rambling on. We're going to get we're going to get back on on certain topics later on. But this is very, very important because I was going to speak about the shootouts and come with certain statistics and things like that and, and break down overdoses, suicides, murders and how homicides, how everything has gone up over the last year or so. And many of the reasons why this could be occurring and and debunk this and speak about that. But when I saw that <sighs> Governor Andrew Cuomo. And this 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 stringent new gun legislation where you're going to sue gun manufacturers for the crime or for the for the harm that guns do. You do realize that um, cars. Uh, there's just as many car deaths, more car deaths in this country than gun deaths. One could argue that a car shouldn't go over 35 miles an hour. 
<laughs> There's really no reason. One could argue that I should be suing my car manufacturer for my car going over 35 miles an hour. We could talk about that, how most fatalities happen around 40 miles an hour or less than that. So the average car shouldn't be going over 30 miles an hour. So if you do get into a little little bump and scrape, okay, 25, 30 miles an hour, you can walk away. But we're on highways that are at 65, 70, 80 miles an hour. You get hit at those speeds, the probability of making out of that, making it out of that uninjured, the probability is, 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 is slim, no? Am I wrong? Why am I not suing my car manufacturer? More deaths are happening from that. Does that sound like a weak argument? You tell me. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think the people in these communities that are that are living in, 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 in neighborhoods where there are food deserts and there aren't any supermarkets and there aren't any gyms and there aren't any malls. You know, you know what malls are? Malls have jobs. Malls are creating commerce and activity. You know what a gym is? It's a place for people to congregate, things of that nature. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, New York. We never had a gym where, where I was growing up. There wasn't a gym in Hollis. There wasn't a gym in Cambria. There wasn't a gym in Rosedale. There wasn't a gym in Laurelton, okay, or Hollis Gardens. No gym. I move out of New York City. I'm in Florida. Every decent neighborhood has one or two or three gyms in it, right? A place where a kid can get a job. You can work the front desk. You can learn a couple of things. You can learn how to be a professional. Then, then maybe you can get a membership. You can learn how to work out. And maybe, just maybe you'll have something else to do besides hanging out in front of a corner store. If you had other things going on, weren't any bookstores. There were plenty of kids. No bookstores. There was a library, but that was it. Every other one of these neighborhoods in New York City and Long Island and other places, I saw bookstores, I saw gyms, I saw things of that nature. Why? Why? You create opportunities you may just see a decreasing in gun violence, right? I, I could almost guarantee it. But maybe there's a different agenda at hand, you know? I can sit here and, 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 and just shoot it to you straight. I'm not going to use a lot of hyperbole and say, well, maybe the agenda is not to have these neighborhoods. I won't go there. I won't do that. I won't opine. I'm just going to look at the data and say I lived in neighborhoods that were extreme affluent red states where I can walk in today and get my gun tomorrow. No, I'm sorry. Walk in today, get a gun today. Driver's license, little background check, got my gun permit, conceal and carry and one, two, three. I can buy as many as I want. Boom and walk out. And I'm there next to a bunch of other law abiding, tax paying, responsible gun owners. And there was not one fracas that's occurred in the two, three times a week. I used to go to the range. All different kinds of people were there. And I was a little apprehensive. I'm like, I'm in the South. I'm in stand your ground country. I'm in Michael Dredgeka country. I'm in George Zimmerman country. I have to watch my back at these ranges. No, I didn't. No, I did not. I got nothing but advice and fellowship and support from a, and encouragement from a lot of the other gun owners out there. It was a brotherhood. It was a fraternity. It was a fellowship. And everyone in, this, in, in my neighborhood 
carrying. Where I live right now, people open carry. You know what open carry is? That means when you see the gun, you're allowed to see it right on their hip all the time. Everywhere I go, you go out to a restaurant, you go here, you go to certain places in public, I go to the farmer's market, open carry, no fracas. No fracas. What's going on? Meanwhile, on the other side in New York City, and I happen to know the cost of living is preposterous. <laughs> I know that firsthand. I know the opportunities are scarce. And if you do have certain opportunities, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to feed yourself and pay your rent at the same time. You may be able to pay your rent, but you're not going to be able to eat. And where you pay your rent, mm, good luck, good luck there. Okay, I know you're being taxed to death in New York. I know your I know your rent is through the roof. So what money you do bring home after it's taxed and you pay your rent, if you can pay your rent, if you can't afford to rent a room. OK, it's probably not in the best place. And then now you're under a regime that over the over my lifespan would not allow you to, to conceal and carry. They're not providing you opportunities. They're demonizing you. They've labeled you. They're biased against you. And then on top of that, now they're going to sue gun manufacturers for the gun violence that's going on in the city. Every citizen in New York City right now that feels that they've been deprived of opportunities in their neighborhoods when they look around and they see those quote unquote broken windows and everything else, they should sue Governor Cuomo. But I think the government is what? I think they're immune from prosecution in certain cases. They'll probably get thrown out. I'm just hoping that this gets thrown out. I'm hoping that anyone who tries to sue gun manufacturers in New York City for the gun violence in New York City, take a look at these other states and cities where people are affluent and almost everyone in that neighborhood, you would see that there's over 60, 70% gun ownership, more than one gun, many, many guns, long guns, rifles fancy weapons with scopes and beams and everything else on it lasers meanwhile not a peep opportunity ladies and gentlemen poverty kills people well that's all i really have to say on that <laughs> it's so funny because i'm, I'm looking at a, um a text from my uh from a friend of mine one of my good friends and they say june you know, um, things are so different for you now, now that you've left New York. Yeah, we used to, you know, we we treated guns in New York like offensive weapons and not defensive weapons. I'll call it. I'll tell you the truth. In New York, if you knew someone with a gun, that means the bullets in that gun had someone's name on it. Right. But in when you leave New York City, and you go to places like Florida and you hear that people actually use guns for recreation. You know, you go to the range just to hone your skills and you 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 develop a skill set. You develop a new skill and then you put that gun away. It doesn't come out. You don't just shoot it in the middle of the street. You don't use it in a situation. If you go to a gas station and you say, hmm, this gas station feels fishy. I feel a little funny here. You don't say I'm carrying, so it's okay. You still go to another one because the last thing you want to do is be involved in a shooting. The last person a law-abiding, tax-paying, responsible gun owner wants to do is to be in a shooting. You want to go home. 
You want to be home. You want to go where you're going in peace. Be where you're at in peace. Leave where you are in peace and get home unmolested. That's what you want. And then go home and not have to deal with anything. No one, real law-abiding, tax-paying gun owners, responsible gun owners, do not go out looking for trouble saying, I got the biggest, baddest gun on the planet. You know, I can go from out of my holster onto target in 1.5 seconds. I have John Wick technique. I'm Matt born with this thing. Mm -mm. It's not what happens. The last thing you want to do is have to call some you know, firearm protection lawyer and and go to a police station and have to deal with someone who was injured by your gun because they were trying to injure you first. And you who wants to go through that? No one wants to go through that. No one wants to go through that. So a lot of my friends are like, damn, June, when did you become so 2A? I was like, yeah, my eyes have been open to the realities of of the poverty dynamic, of the violent dynamic all across the world. When you see these things occur all across the world, you know, you you create a predator prey situation if you leave people unable to defend themselves without the means to defend themselves and calling on the same state that deprived certain groups of people opportunities. And then certain people in that in that in that uh, deprived state become predators. And then I'm calling on the state three digits, nine, one, one to come protect me from those same people. What? Why are my tax dollars going to the cops when they could go to programs? I'm not with the whole defund the police thing. I don't know. I am with the rerouting and redistribution of certain key dollars. So maybe other people's neighborhood can look like my neighborhood. So I ain't got to worry about them and they don't have to worry about me. And we can all live all right or decent. Okay. But when you create certain disparities, guess what's going to happen? And then you, you create the disparity and then you say you're going to take away my gun. <laughs> it's insane. People, there's a lot to talk about. A lot more things to talk about. Uh, don't know what my next episode is going to, uh, going to cover, but um, you'll be the first to know. And with that, I say good night. Until we meet again.